Welcome to Salem Alliance Church. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Steve Fowler. Several years ago, I was uh, playing golf with some some friends, uh, playing at a course that I had not played on before. And those of you who do play golf, you know that um, that can pose some challenges. And there was one particular hole in that golf course that was a challenge because where you were teeing off, um, the, you couldn't see the, the, the green. You couldn't see the flag. And so it was kind of a blind shot. And the, these guys had played the course before, so they were um, kind of pointing me in the direction that I was supposed to go. And so uh, we all hit, and I hit my ball, and as often happens, it didn't go where I was aiming, and it went far, far to the right. And as we, after we all hit, we got up on sort of the hill to look and see where our balls were. I, I, could, I could see that you know, they were all in the fairway, the right fairway. I was in a, another fairway. It was another hole. Uh, fortunately, no one was playing that hole, and so I just told the guys, you know, we'll meet again. I'll go over there, and we'll, I'll meet you at the green. So I uh, got out of my ball, and I uh, took aim at the flag. It was way, way away, so it's going to be a couple more shots before I get there. And I hit a shot, and I, 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 if I can say this, I crushed it. It was a great golf shot. In fact, I was so proud of myself, I just said out loud, no one's around me. Now that's a golf shot. Held the pose for a while, uh, and uh, just, just soaked it all in. And, uh, and then the second shot I had was not, not too far out. I hit it, and it, was, it hit the green, and it looked like it was rolling up close to the flag. And sure enough, when I got up on the green, it's about 10 feet from the, from the cup. And I, you know, typically you mark the ball, and I, I didn't mark it because I wanted, when the other guys came up here, I wanted to see, you know, just how close the, the ball was to the hole. Um, and so I, I turned around and started looking for them, and I, I, I see them, and they're on a green about 150 yards from where I'm at. <laughs> Um, because I was aiming at the wrong green. And um, suddenly I wasn't so proud of myself. Just picked up my ball and walked over to the other hole. I landed on a, another, another, you know, another green from another hole. Um, and um, that, sometimes you get, we, we think we're aiming in the right direction, right? I mean, you can think about this in a lot of areas of our life. And in this series, this, this Love Handle series, um, one of the things I want us to understand is that there is indeed a target. There is indeed a, a direction in which we are supposed to be living our lives. And, and, and I think sometimes it's a bit surprising to know what that, that sort of the bullseye on the target is that God's calling us to, to hit, you know, you know, you know a, a classic like archer's target, kind of the, the concentric circles. You've got different colors in the circles, and you sort of work your way into that smallest circle in the middle, the bullseye. Um, for some of you having a hard time picturing kind of the archer's target, think of the department store target, their brand logo. Um, and that, that's also a bullseye. Some of you that now it's starting to sink in for you. That center circle, that's, that's the bullseye. And what we've learned is that Jesus actually says that that center bullseye is, is love. That, that, as we saw last week, Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. In fact, in, in 1 Corinthians, Paul clearly says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1, he says these words, let, your, let love be your highest goal. Another version puts it this way, let love be your greatest aim. This is the target. And where does Paul get this from? He gets it from Jesus. Remember Jesus telling his disciples in John chapter 13, a new command I give to you, love one another. And he goes on to say, by this, everybody will know that you are my disciples. The, the bullseye 
is, is love. In fact, Jesus, remember, he's given that trick question, what's the, what's the most important commandment? And he responds by saying, all the law and the prophets hang on these two things. Love God and love people. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength, and uh, love your neighbor as yourself. And what we, last week, we, we put this sort of visual up there that you take all of Scripture, all of it hangs uh, what Jesus is saying is all the law and the prophets, it hangs on this concept, this idea um, that we're to love God and love, love people. And sometimes people think, well, that's sort of dumbing things down. No, actually, that's the bullseye. That is, that's, you hit that, you're hitting the target dead on. And, um, and so that, that, that's where Paul is getting, he's getting this from, from Jesus. Now, and here's the thing, I think that what, what's happened is uh, unintentionally, by people who love us and care for us, and sometimes they're the ones who in introduced us to Jesus, that we've been given a different bullseye. That the target, you know, love, th that's our greatest aim. That has been extracted from the target, from the bullseye, and a different bullseye has been placed in there. Good things are not bad things. They just aren't the main thing. Things like, uh, you know, like evangelism. Sharing, sharing who Jesus is. This is, this is important. Evangelism is really crucial. Jesus told his disciples, I want you to go to the ends of the earth. I want you to make disciples. And we know that the beginning part of the discipleship, someone needs to tell someone about, about who, who Christ is. Evangelism is, an impo is, is important. It's crucial, but it's not the bullseye. So sometimes that, gets, that missions gets, gets placed in the center of the target. Sometimes good things like reading your Bible, knowing God's word is communicated as the bullseye. It's crucial. It's important. Please don't tell our Bible study team that Steve Fowler got up here and said, don't worry about reading or studying the Bible. It's important. It just isn't the bullseye. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, what Paul will say to a church, he will say, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. I grew up in uh, Malaysia, going to boarding school, and I'd fish in the ocean every once in a while from the banks or next to the ocean, and, um, and I'd catch little pufferfish. They're pretty small fish. But these pufferfish, when, when a predator comes, they inflate themselves to make themselves look really big. That, that's kind of, that picture kind of stuck in my head here is the thing about knowledge puffing up. It's what, what can happen is we can, we can try to make ourselves bigger or more important than we really are through the acquisition of knowledge and information. So love is the target. It's not evangelism. It's not even reading the Bible. It's not even a good thing like prayer. Prayer is crucial. It's all about developing our relationship. But it's not the bullseye. We could just walk through a bunch of things, and, and, and these are important disciplines in, in the Christ life, in our discipleship journey. But the, the bullseye is Love, that is the target. And when we get that right, we get everything else right. Because Paul in Colossians chapter 3, verse 14, tells us this. Love is more important than anything else. It is what ties everything completely together. So it, love, when, that, when we understand that's the target, it impacts how we pray. It impacts how we read and listen to scripture. It also impacts how we share who Christ is. Love is sort of the fountain, it's the headwaters, it's the source of all of who we are called to be. So, one of the things we need to do in, in this series, we need to get a handle on what it means to love. If love is the bullseye, then what are we talking about? What is love? 
Um, and, and, and this is really, really important because, you know, I love Diet Dr. Pepper. I love pizza from Wallery's. Um, I like the beavers, but I love the ducks. I would love it if the Seahawks beat the Carolina Panthers today and then they won the NFC Championship and they won the Super Bowl. I would love that. I, I love coffee. Um, I, I, I love it when it snows. Um, I, I even love my wife. <laughs> now, you, you, you know what I'm saying, because, you know, just think about, you know, we, contextually, you, you know that I don't put pizza and Trina at, this, at the same level, <laughs> right? <laughs> Hopefully you know that. But think about coming from a, another country, and English is not your first language, and you hear somebody talk about loving Dr. Pepper and, and, and people, and, and it's, it's really confusing. And I think when we talk about love, we, we say we, we, we need to be loving, I think some, many of us are operating from, def, from different definitions, we need to understand what love is. And fortunately for us, it's spelled out very clearly in Scripture. If you want, you can go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, because um, I'm going to read uh, this definition of love that Paul gives to a church in a city called Corinth. It's, today, it's, it's, it's a city in, uh, in Greece. The ruins of that city are there. Um, it's on page 1819 in your pew Bible. If you, if, you got a, if you didn't bring a Bible with you, you can use that pew Bible and find that text. Now, let me just pause here for a moment and just give you a little context. Paul is writing to this church. Um, this is a church that is located in Corinth, as I mentioned. It's a, it's a, it's a city that you go to to be successful. It's also a pretty uh, twisted, distorted city because um, they're mingling spirituality with their sexuality. There's a temple, the temple of Aphrodite is on this hill, and at night the prostitutes come out of the temple, and there's all kinds of crazy stuff happening uh, in this city. But there's a church planted in the city, and it's, it's, a, it's a very gifted church. It's probably one of the most spiritually gifted churches that we'll read about in the New Testament. But not only is it incredibly gifted, it's also incredibly troubled. This is a, is a church that is, is, is operating by what I would say is called the toddler rules. Now, I don't know if you know what the toddler rules are, but let me just read them to you. Um, they are, if I like it, it's mine. If it's in my hand, it's mine. If I can take it from you, it's mine. If I had it a little while ago, it's mine. If it's mine, it must never appear to be yours in any way. If I'm doing or building something, all the pieces are mine. If it looks just like mine, it is mine. I saw it first, it's mine. If you are playing with something and you put it down, it automatically becomes mine. If it is broken, it's yours. <laughs> Some of you have small kids, you know. Some of you have had kids, you know that this is, these are the toddler rules. This is the, the culture in which they live, the, the, their view on life. This is how this church is, is living. Um, and, and Paul is, is going to write to them and talk to them about love. Now, when you get to 1 Corinthians 13, oftentimes this is the passage read at weddings, and I think rightfully so. Um, but, uh, you know, imagine this. Does someone walk up to Paul one day and say, Paul, I've been wondering, what's love? And Paul, and, hmm, let me think. I, I think love is patient. Love is kind. Is that, that how we got this list here? No. We didn't get this list because Paul was musing one day and had deep thoughts and decided to put the pen to paper. 
It's here because he's writing to this church that's operating by the toddler rules, and he's seeing the opposite of love in the church. And he's trying to redirect them to the bullseye and the target. In fact, the words that you see in, in 1 Corinthians 13, the definition of love, he's already used many of these words, just in the negative. Chapter 7, he calls them rude. Chapter 8, he calls them puffed up. Chapter 10, he calls them self-seeking. And when you get into this definition, you'll see love is not self-seeking. Love is not rude. Love is not puffed up or proud. That's how we get this list. He's saying, you guys are aiming at all the wrong stuff. And this is a troubled church. This is a divided church. This is a church that's having significant moral lapses. And so Paul says these words to them. Love is patient. And actually, the better way to say this is, as it's written in the original language, is love acts patiently. These are active words. Love acts patient. Love acts kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Friends, this is the definition of love. This is, this is what love looks like. In fact, if you remember last week, we said God is love. So if you look at 1 Corinthians 13, you could say God acts patiently. God acts kindly. God is not boastful or proud. He's not rude. doesn't demand his own. I mean, you can just kind of get a picture of who God is, which is really important because as you're listening to God and you're trying to discern, is this God and, and the voice is rude or unkind or it's a condemning voice, it's, it's not him because God is love. Even in some of the most difficult ways that, that the Holy Spirit will, will confront us, he does it in a way in, in which we're built up. That's who God is. Now, I don't think I need to drill down on all these words because I, th I think you know what, it, what it's like to be treated rudely. I think you, you know what it, it's like to be treated kindly. Um, but I, I also think that we need to kind of see ourselves through this lens because God is love and we are called to be like him. So here's what I do this week. I took this text and I, and I just inserted my name in the text and said, Steve acts patiently. Steve acts kindly. Steve does not act rudely. Steve does not envy or boast. And I, I typed this all out on my computer. And, um, and then what I decided to do was to, to give that whole list in which I've inserted my name and, and hand it to my wife, Trina, and to have her read it. So I, I, I gave it to her and I, and I asked her to do this. I said, I, I want you to let me know which one of these statements on the screen is most true about me and which one is least true about me. So she took the computer, she, she read through it and you know, took her time and she shared what she believed was most true about me and then she shared what she believed was least true about me. Do you want to know what's least true about me from her perspective? I'm not telling you. which tells you which one it is, right? <laughs> I, we need, love is the bullseye. 
The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So what we need to know is, is am I hitting the target? Am I, am, am I hitting the bullseye? Am I, am I close? And we need people who, who love us but aren't necessarily impressed by us to give us the truth, to speak the truth in love. So what you could do is you could, you know, obviously take my name out, put your name in. Insert your name. Is this true about you? Friends, this is the bullseye. Um, you know, could, could you insert your name there and, you know, you know Bill acts patiently. Sue acts kindly. Just, you just feel your name. In fact, if, if you want to do this, um, you know, if you go to our, our church app and you, and you find this podcast when it's posted and you just hit the notes button, all these slides are available to you. All the scripture verses, anytime we use a quote, all that stuff's there. You could just take this one, you could print it out, you can insert your name, or you can do this on your computer yourself. And the reason you would do this is because love is the bullseye, that, that's where we're going. And, and 1 Corinthians 13 talks about what love is. And so we need to assess ourselves, no, not so that we can kind of listen to condemning voices about how we, we, we fall short. It's so that we can begin praying and we can begin um, in, in our small groups talk about how we want the direction that we want to go and where we want to see growth in our life. Because this is really extremely crucial that we be known for this kind of love. Paul, he will say, he will describe what it looks like when love is absent. And you'll use direct language. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, uh, verse 1 says, Without love, I am obnoxious. Verse 2, same chapter. Without love, I am nothing. John will write in, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. You see... If you don't love in the way that's laid out, if we're not acting patiently, kindly, if, if we're rude, um, what, what John is getting at is that but you must not know God because God is love. And if, if, if you say you're becoming like God and, you, and none of this is apparent, then you must not know him. God is love, and we're called to be like him. So we need to get a handle on this. We need to understand that that is the target, that is the bullseye, and we need to understand what love is and what it isn't. And, and, and we need to begin embodying this kind of love to each other and to our world, to our families, to our, to our neighborhood, to our, the people we work with. So how does that happen? How do we get 1 Corinthians 13 kind of love planted in our hearts and, and, and get it flowing out of us and impacting the people that are around us? How, do, how does patience and kindness and, and all those things that are laid out in 1 Corinthians 13, how does that flow from us? And I, here's what I'm going to do. And the rest of the time I got with you this morning, I want to hit one thing. Just one way that this love can flow from you. This 1 Corinthians 13 kind of love. The kind of love that isn't rude and the kind of love that, that, that rejoices with the truth and can't rejoice with the things that are wicked. Okay? How do I get that flowing out of me? And there's just one thing and I'm going to give it to you and it's going to feel a little bit abstract when I give it to you, but I'm going to drill down on it um, because this is really extremely crucial. crucial. If we don't get this... My fear is that, that actually just get dammed up within us. We won't be able to release the kind of love that Jesus intends uh, to see flow from our lives. So here it is. Just the one thing that I, I think we need is, is to embrace your new reality in Jesus. 
Now, this is a little bit abstract. Let me just explain this. Another way you could say this is to, to know your identity in Christ or to, to say um, to know who you are in Christ. Now, let me explain this because, again, I acknowledge this case. So what does this mean? How am I supposed to do that? Well, I just want to share with you just four things about your identity in Christ, this, your new reality in Christ that I believe are crucial for you to embrace personally so that in, in, you can release it to others. And the first one is, is found in a, a letter that Paul wrote to a spiritual son of his named Titus. Uh, he says, Jesus treated us much better than we deserve. He made us acceptable to God and gave us the hope of eternal life. Jesus treated us better than we deserve, and he made us acceptable. One of the deepest wounds that you and I will ever experience in life is the wound of rejection. It's the opposite of acceptance. Some of you went to school, and you went into the cafeteria at lunchtime, and there was this table, sort of the cool table that you wanted to sit at, but no one ever invited you. Or maybe you walked over to that table, and you were told that there wasn't a seat for you at that table. And so you walked away, and you experienced rejection. And that stuck with you. Some of you um, have been let go by an employer. And that was a wound. Uh, you felt rejected by that. Some of you are carrying deep wounds of rejection because an ex-husband or an ex-wife was unfaithful to you. And it's, you've been bleeding internally for many years, many months. And you've, you felt betrayed and rejected Others of you have felt the sense of rejection from your parents. As a young kid, growing up in your house, you, you, just, you never could behave well enough. Your room could never be clean enough. Your, your report card was never good enough. You had C's and you were told to get B's. You got B's and you were told to get A's. You got A's and you should have got straight A's. And then you left the house and you've been trying to live life, trying to perform trying to do good so you'd hear from mom and dad, I'm proud of you. In fact, some of you in this room, your mom and dad are gone and you're still trying to please them because you were never given the gift of acceptance. So what you've embraced is this perfectionistic sort of approach to life. You've tried to be perfect because if I can be perfect, then I can be accepted. Friends, let me just tell you this. Jesus Christ lived a perfect life and they nailed him to a cross. And if you haven't pleased your parents by now, you will never please them. And I'm not trying to paint parents as, as, as bad people. Some of you have great parents, and you got that gift. Praise God. Many others did not. And so you've lived with this raw wound of rejection. And here comes Jesus, who treats us better than we deserve. And, and, and he made us acceptable. Around here, we talk a lot about accepting Christ. Have you ever thought about this? Jesus accepts you. He not, only, he not only died for you, he made you acceptable. This is your new reality in Christ Jesus. You are acceptable. And until you embrace that new reality, here's what's going to happen. You're going to have a hard time accepting others. You're, that love of acceptance for others will not be released because you haven't taken it for yourself from Jesus. 
So the first thing I say to you is that you need to embrace a new reality in Jesus Christ. And one of those, those new realities is that you are acceptable to him. The performance has been done. And now you just get to follow Jesus. The second thing I, I just want to talk about is, is that you're not acceptable. You are valuable. Now what determines value? Typically, a lot of times, value is associated with something by who made it. So art, for example. I'm just going to put this painting up here. This is a painting. It's called The Starry Night Over the Rhone. It's painted by Vincent van Gogh. Did a little research on this painting. It's worth somewhere between $200 and $250 million, should you ever want to purchase it. <laughs> it's very valuable. Why is it, why is it valuable? Because it's, it's beautiful, number one. And, and number two, it's painted by van Gogh. And van Gogh is a famous artist. Here's another. Here's a drawing. This one was not drawn by Van Gogh. Um, I drew this. And um, it's, it's, it's not going to fetch 200 million, 200 million. Maybe 100 million. <laughs> uh, it's, it's the classic stick figure, right? It's, it's like anyone can do that. Um, and so you attach value because, to that one painting because Van Gogh painted it. And this one is like a diamond dozen. Never can do a stick figure. Now, here's what Jesus says about you. He says, in, in Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus, he says, we are God's masterpiece. I mean, if a Van Gogh painting is $250 million, you need to understand, you are God's masterpiece. God made you. God created you. Psalm 139 says that he knitted you together in your mother's womb. And Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says that not only did he create you, he gave you specific gifts. He, he gave those so that you could do good works. He prepared good works for you to do in advance. In fact, that masterpiece word is actually a word, it's, it's an artistic word. So it's, it's, it's a great uh, translation. It's, it's a word that can mean poem. It's a word that can mean painting. It's this idea that you are his work of art. And if value is ascribed to things by who painted or who created, then how much more valuable are you? Because God created you on purpose. Put you in this time of world history on purpose. You are his masterpiece. So you need to embrace that new reality, the reality that you're acceptable and that you're valuable. And this crazy thing happens. When you believe that you have value, when you believe that you have self-worth, an incredible thing happens to you. You start valuing others. You know, some people will say to me, man, man you, I mean, you seem like a confident person, self, you know, a person of high self-esteem. Yeah, I, I, I do have a lot of self-confidence. And here's why. Because I, I believe that I, I've got some value. You see, Trina Fowler looked through the entire world all these guys, she chose me. Above all, sorry guys, she chose me. Out of all these other guys in the world. And man, that makes me feel good. Doesn't it feel good to be chosen? It, it, it means value has been ascribed to you. And once you embrace that, then you can start giving it to others. This is your new reality in Jesus. You are acceptable, you are valuable. Here's another one. You are forgivable. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Which means 
that anytime we recognize that we've kind of gone sideways on something, and we did that, and we shouldn't have, we said that, and we shouldn't have, and we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. Notice the language. It doesn't say that he's merciful and kind. He's using covenant language here, meaning because Christ went to the cross, justice has been served, you can be forgiven. You are forgivable. So when that tape recorder is playing in your head, reminding you of the mistake you made in the past or where you blew it, what you can say to that tape recorder in your head is, I am forgivable. That's done. As far as the east is from the west, that has been removed from my life. There is no stain in my life anymore. Jesus Christ not only forgives us, 1 John 1, 9 tells us that he purifies us, he cleanses us, he scrubs us down. He forgives and makes you clean, which means when the Father looks at you, he sees none of it. But some of you, when you look at you, that's all you can see. All you can see is where you've blown it. You are forgivable. And the moment that you embrace the forgiveness that's given in Jesus Christ, guess what happens? You start forgiving other people who've offended you, who've hurt you, because you have experienced what it means to be forgiven. You're acceptable. You are valuable. You are forgivable. One more. You are capable. Jesus, talking to his disciples in John 14, says, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me, that's us, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I am going to be with the Father. Jesus has gone to the cross. He's walked out of the tomb. He's about to go to the Father, and he's telling his 11 disciples, he's saying, okay, guys, you've seen the things I've done. You're going to do them. My spirit is going to be in you. The fullness of God will dwell in you, and he will delight in you. And as that happens, you're going to do great things, the same things I've done, and you're going to even do greater works. Jesus left the future of the gospel in the hands of 11 guys, most of them uneducated. That was his plan. Remember 1 Corinthians chapter 13? It says, love believes all things. God believes in you. You're, you're capable. He believes in you. You're capable. None of those things, acceptable, valuable, forgivable, capable, none of those things we can do on our own. It's all through him. But this is our new reality. The new reality is that that. In Christ, I am capable. God believes in me. And funny thing happens is when I start believing in me, I start believing in others. And, and I'm forgivable. And when I believe that I've been forgiven, I start forgiving other people. And I, when I start understanding my own self-worth and that God sees me as a masterpiece, I start seeing the value in others. And when I believe that I'm acceptable, I start accepting other people. Because this will shock you, but there are people in our world that are really difficult to love. Right? That they're, they're, they're really difficult to love. And, 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 and they're in our neighborhoods, they're in our places of work. They're, they're the kind of people that call the EGR people, extra grace required people. And, and you, you're already thinking, okay, yeah, I know that person. And if you're drawing a blank, it's probably you. <laughs> right? We have, there are people in our lives that are difficult to love. 
But if we will embrace our new reality in Jesus Christ, what happens is the dam is broken and it flows. First Corinthians 13 kind of love, the Jesus kind of love gets planted in our soul and it starts flowing through us into our world because we have embraced our new reality in Christ. And friends, until you do that, you will find it very difficult to love in the ways that Christ has called you to love. Love is the bullseye. Now it's wonderful that God speaks these words over us. It's wonderful, wonderful to, to hear it spoken over us from, from someone else. I, I count a privilege to speak those words over you, that you are acceptable, that you are valuable, that you are forgivable, that you are capable. But you need to speak them over yourselves. You need to speak this. So I'm gonna invite you to stand, and we're gonna do this very thing. Some of you are thinking, yeah, I've heard, you know, you is smart, you is kind, you is important. I tell you, it's, that's a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing for someone to say over us. You need to speak this over yourself. The words are going to be up here on the screen. And I'm just going to lead us in this. I, I want you to embrace your new reality in Christ Jesus for your own soul. And for the sake of other souls. Would you say this with me? I'm acceptable. I am valuable. I am forgivable. I am capable. I mean, just pause right there for a moment. Some of you, you, you couldn't say any of those things. Some of you got maybe a couple of men and you just couldn't say, maybe you couldn't say I'm forgivable. That's one to pay attention to. That's the one to, that's the one to drill down on. Now, why couldn't I say I'm, I'm, I'm forgivable? My, my sense is that's, that's a place Holy Spirit wants to, to work in your life. Let, let's do this again because I think we want to just declare this over not the person next to you, but over your own heart. Let, let's say this again. Let's just declare this over ourselves. I am acceptable. I am valuable. I am forgivable. I am capable. Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. If you'd like more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org.